what I want to do is invite as much participation as possible. And I'm going to cover a bunch of ground, and I'm going to leave as much time for questions as I can. And what I really want to give you a sense of is that things here are changing more quickly than at any time in human history. So let me start off and say, first, as Californians, we have a legacy. We're leaders. People all over the world look to us. In the 1970s, California stood up and passed the first law requiring that every automobile in this state have a catalytic converter. It's hard to explain now, but it's revolutionary. I mean, Detroit said, what, are you people mad out there in California? Are we supposed to make different cars for every state? And the punchline is, within a decade, every state in the country had similar laws. Within another decade, every country on the planet required catalytic converters. We here in California literally changed the tide of human history because we were bold. We understood that clean air meant something. We did it again just a few years ago, AB 32, passed historic legislation, cap and trade, the first state in the country, but really more than a state, the world's eighth largest economy. This was the major topic of discussion when I was in Copenhagen three months ago at the Global Climate Summit. Once again, California leading. We did it yet again with something called Prop 71. This was the historic stem cell research initiative where California voters did something no one else on the planet had even conceived of, which is in the face of President Bush saying there would essentially be no stem cell research in this country. Californians standing up and saying, we will set aside the capital to be the global leader because we, more than any other state, understand the payoffs and the benefits of owning a new technology as important as this. So I want to give you a sense, because we all hear about the complaining and Sacramento's broken and this and that. From a global standpoint, we are still leading. People look to us to lead. Which brings me to this, and it's what I'm going to talk about today. What can California do to continue to lead? And I, I love this slide. It's, it's a combination of a couple of things, from smart private sector movement, a culture of entrepreneurship, access to risk capital, things that are really not done at anywhere near the level we're doing anywhere else on the planet, and some smart government policy. And again, everybody loves to complain about Sacramento and having lived there for four years, I can tell you they're right. Loads of problems. But we're getting a lot right. Hence the uh, California Public Utilities building right there. You know, the Governor's Million Solar Roofs Initiative talked about all over the world. AB 32, it is the global model. And uh, our standard here to hit 20% renewables by 2010, let me just tell you, wind back four years ago, the utility said, oh no, Oh, we can't do that. Oh, these, these Democrats, these liberals, we'll never get there. Well, guess what? We're largely going to hit it. SoCal Edison uh, will hit 20% this year. PG&E will be ahead. Semper's a little behind. We're doing it. And the governor has said, guess what? We're going to keep going. I want us to be at 33% by 2020, way ahead of where the rest of the world is. So I just want to give you a sense at precisely the point in time where Washington is paralyzed and they're all going, oh me, oh my, can we get to 14% or 17%? That's the debate. 
Arnold has stood up and said, 33 were Californians. And I'm going to suggest to you, the payoffs to bold policy leadership are huge. Here's a slide that uh, just comes right from my world. If you would talk to anybody on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley, or frankly anywhere in the country or the world about venture capital five, six years ago, they would have said, clean tech venture capital? There is no clean tech venture capital. It's an asterisk. It didn't exist. One firm only, maybe two. Uh, now, of course, everybody claims to have been doing it. But realistically, there's almost nobody doing it. Last November, with help from the government, clean tech has now passed semiconductors, software, IT, life sciences, everything. It is now the largest venture investment segment in the United States and there in the world. You can see the numbers here. And it's a smart place to invest. Why not? This is not, by the way, double bottom line investing. Well, that may, may be double bottom, but that's not the point. People are doing this because it makes money. It's a huge, huge industry. And these are some of the things California is doing right. New innovations. Tesla, you know, the world's first major automaker here. By the way, they've been selling and shipping cars for almost two years. This isn't old stuff. This is not pie in the sky. They're doing it. Uh, Amaris, another firm right here in the Bay Area, Emeryville, making essentially clean diesel fuel, jet fuel, and someday gasoline with 80% less of a carbon footprint, 80% less pollution. This is stunning, stunning stuff right from the labs of UC Berkeley. By the way, not just new innovations, big bucks, sun power, a billion-dollar local company, first solar in Arizona, $10 billion company, and massive deployments. This happens to be in Florida. So I just want to give you a sense. This isn't just a California deal. This is all over the country. And by the way, if we blink, Florida, New Jersey, these other states are dying to pass this. You can see the numbers I alluded to. I just want to spend a little more time on this facility in Florida. A lot of people think California is the only place they're doing solar. This is a big natural gas facility, but can anybody see what they're building in the corner adjacent with it? 70 megawatts of solar. So this isn't just some pie in the sky California thing. This is the future of power plants. And I just want to give you a sense of how quickly this is going because I get frankly sick of hearing people say, um, forgive me, but especially my Republican friends, well, do you realize only 1% of our energy base is solar? That's not going to take you very far. So the reason for that is two years ago, Google had the biggest solar facility in the United States, one meg on the roof. Stunning for a company to do. Now they're doing uh, 70 megawatt facilities all over the place in Nellis Air Force Base, those liberal thinkers at the United States Air Force, are in the process of building a 500 megawatt solar facility. This is not a utility, it's the Air Force. I just want to give you a sense. 24 months ago it was one megawatt, now it's 50 and 70, and they're already breaking ground on 500 megawatt facilities. This thing is happening faster than anybody dreamed. And I want to make sure it's headquartered here. So I want to give you a sense. This is a smart place to invest. It's not just good policy. It's not just good for the planet, which it is, but it is 
a place to make money. A123, one of the first major big battery providers to help power the electric car industry of the future, went public with almost a $2 billion market cap just a few months ago. Silver Spring, right here in San Mateo, already conjectured, people are guessing, it could have an IPO this year. Uh, they're about to file as high as $3 billion. So these may be the household names of the future. This thing is changing quickly. And again, I want to see California own it. By the way, more IPOs in the pipeline. Tesla, Solyndra, Codexus. And again, where are they headquartered? California. And they're real businesses. And I, again, I really want to stress this. This isn't just about, oh boy, it's another one of these things, a lot of PhDs and engineers. Is this really going to affect the job base of the economy? And what I want to suggest to you is the growth and success of these companies has a huge percolating effect throughout our economy. Solar City, a firm started just three years ago. We have a sense of the rapidity of change. It employs 560 people today. And by the way, there's no government subsidies here. This is just putting solar on rooftops. Tesla, a firm that uh, I served on the board of for a little over three years. It's one of our largest investments. They have gotten a government grant, have announced and filed to go public. You want to know what their job base looks like? Take a look. This is what they're hiring today. Um, oh, but, and this. Uh, uh, and this. I just want to give you a sense here. Yeah, you know, it's senior firmware engineers. I mean, this is probably going to be someone with an advanced degree from Berkeley for sure. But it's also machinists, assemblers, it's the whole cross-section of the economy. As many as 2,500 to 3,000 people. This stimulates growth. This is what economies are built on. This is why it's so important for the policy makers of the state to come together with the investors to rebuild a new economy and to do it now. And they all have stock options. This is the future. So, I was asked to give a few thoughts. Next steps, what are some of the things we can be sure to do to continue this momentum? Number one, incentives and mandates for gold, platinum, and lead buildings. I have to joke with my venture capital friends. A big piece of what we do at our firm is invest in green building materials. And what I usually get is this, oh my God, I usually like dirty under the fingernails where you're, you're the blue collar venture capitalist. It's not quite as exciting. You know, most VCs, everybody has a PhD, and they want to talk about breakthrough algae, and it's all 10 or 20 years out. It's wonderful. God bless them. 40% of the U.S.'s energy requirements are buildings. And we've made a point at our firm to know more about, invest more in how to make buildings more energy efficient than any place on the planet. How, how many of you have heard of Golden Lead Standards? Great. God bless San Francisco. It's not like this most of the other places. <laughs> I just want to suggest to you, the Western Europeans get it. Why? Cost of energy is so high. We get it because we're all progressive. The rest of the country getting there quickly. But I, I sat literally yesterday morning with someone in Los Angeles who owns 14 million square feet. It's a 78-year-old guy built a huge real estate empire. And he said, I am completely sold it's the future. It's what people want. There's a fundamental change going on here. What I would suggest to you is right now you get nice accreditation for achieving gold or platinum, 
But if we're really going to make this happen quicker, if we're going to push the envelope on retrofitting and new buildings, I'm going to suggest to you that we need some combination of financial incentives and or mandates. Because the government can decree these things. I think it's good business, and it'll literally put the jetpack on this new industry. Higher fees for solid waste dumping. Everybody loves to talk about electric cars and solar and wind, and it's sexy. Not nearly as much discussion as there should be on about recycling. California has been the recycling leader. One of the best things we do, we're a little short on revenues. You know this. We ought to be taxing more stuff going to landfills. Californians, especially San Franciscans, think they conserve and recycle a lot. Nonsense. Go to Germany or Western Europe. They're way ahead of us. And it's time to put taxes on how much we put in the landfill and to get serious about recycling. Expand the investment tax credit to energy efficiency. So there's a great 30% investment tax credit for solar and wind, and I love it. Energy efficiency, much better investment. We need to expand the ITC there. And lastly, I think we should raise the price and the size of California's feed-in tariff. Uh, I'd like to see a higher price for renewables, eliminate the cap until our PS targets are met. There are a lot of things we can do, and not all of them cost money. Which brings us to China. I go to China every 90 days. Our venture capital firms expanding into China as we speak. The rapidity of growth there is like nothing seen in human history. 500 million people lifted out of abject poverty into the middle class in the last two decades. And they're all consuming. And what I want to give you a sense of is that people are going to be talking about right now in human history for decades and maybe hundreds of years, because right now is when China sort of woke up, not just economically, but to realize the implications of what they're doing. So after all of the, forgive me here, but the whining in the US Congress, where Obama gets elected, after 20 years we didn't raise the cafe standards one iota. 20 years. All the technology changes you know, we could never raise cafe standards. Obama came in and said, I'm raising them from 25 miles per gallon to 39 miles per gallon. And the auto industry said, impossible, we can't get there, and Obama, and we finally compromised, okay, we will get there, but they have seven years to do it. In China, they said, hey, we had a problem here. We're going to raise our cafe standards to 42 miles per gallon. You can take as long as you want to get there, as long as it's done within 18 months, or you're shut down. <laughs> By the way, you say, well, what the heck are they driving in China? I go, out, go there all the time. It's these brands called Buick. Anybody? Mercedes, a lot of Toyota, and Audi. They're driving the same things. But they do it because they're serious. We back off because of the oil and auto lobby. We should not accept that. Here's another one. Because of the extraordinary rate of pollution in China, again, it's largely coal-driven, but auto's catching up. And in the U.S., because coal plants are so dirty, we permit about one a year. In China, they're doing about one a week. And it's so cheap, it employs so many people, it's hard to change. So what they've said is, they're going to embark on the largest tree planting initiative in human history. Folks, this is not 150,000 acres. This is 150,000 miles, square miles, to be planted within the next 10 years. This is larger than the state of Montana almost exactly the same size as the state of California. So these people 
are serious. And the impact of what they're doing is helping the planet. 50% feed-in tariff for wind, a major one for solar. They will blow by, no pun intended, wind and solar to be the world's largest, not just manufacturer, but user of wind and solar. The rapidity of change there is stunning. Which brings me to this. Who recognizes this city? Los Angeles. Very good. We knew you never liked these people. No. Uh, it's the city where I was born. And what's so stunning here is, through the 1970s, when I was growing up, it's one of the most polluted cities in the country. Everybody knew it. Freeways everywhere, cars all over, hugely polluted, until, remember the first slide? Catalytic converters. Social, you know, virtual social upheaval. We changed it. Literally for the last 25, 30 years, the air in Los Angeles has been getting cleaner every year. Till about 2003. And then what happened? Asia. The ascendancy of Asia. 25% of the particulate matter, according to the EPA, over the West Coast, Los Angeles, comes from Asia. Uh, by the way, anybody think this is going to shrink? One power plant a week? China passed the U.S. last year as the world's largest auto, not manufacturer. These aren't just poor people making a little bit. Auto purchaser in the world. Stunning change, and it's coming our way. Hence, this is a global problem. Our whole lives, we're polluting like crazy. It goes over China, the acid uh, over Canada, destroys their forests, goes over Europe. Who cares? We're creating the problem. Now, all of a sudden, we're on the receiving end. I would submit to you, people are going to care. By the way, China predicts 82 million lung-related deaths over the next 25 years. And if any of you have been there, you can see it. And now we're going to be uh, inhaling a piece of that. So let me leave you with this slide. Anybody know what the back of this is? It's an iPhone. And what I love here is it says, designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. And what I want to suggest to you is it could say, designed in China. It manufactured maybe in California. But I don't want that to happen. It changes your entire economy, our entire history of activism, of entrepreneurship, has put us in an extraordinary position. You know how important that has been to our history. The next chapter of economic evolution is happening right now. It is called clean technology. We need to get serious about political and business leaders who can ensure we stay at the forefront. I hope I can convince you to be, play an active role in that fight. We live in an extraordinary time. Thank you for letting me come today. Thank you very much, Steve. Wonderful presentation. My name is Karen Knoll, and I have two quick questions. One is with the companies that you mentioned near the beginning. Do you see opportunities in sales for all of those companies? And also, what type of certification would you recommend if you want to move into this field from a, previous, from a different career? Yeah. There are going to be opportunities in sales for all of these things. I, it's so funny you, you mention this, because I, I look at entrepreneurs every day. We see brilliant people, frequently immigrants. It's the most inspiring thing in the world. And they're all tech heavy. And they all come in and kind of look at me and 
you know, you say, how many people do you have? And it's 18 engineers and these tech people and these tech people. And I say, well, who's going to sell it? And they're like, sell it? <laughs> we can use salespeople for almost every one of these. And the good news is there's no one more experienced than you are at selling electric cars because no one's sold electric cars anymore. And then the same thing almost down the line. Smart grid systems, this is a great time to be in sales. If you have a little bit of technical background, uh, you'll be ahead of the game, but absolutely. And your second question was, so certifications, uh, you know, it's funny, all these universities are offering environmental science degrees. All this is really helpful, but, you know, just a basic background and a little bit, you know, if you took those chemistry classes, it sure would help in knowing a little bit about, um, you know, electricity, etc. helps a ton. Uh, one other pitch I just want to make well, let me throw this out to you. You all know the U.S. is the largest economic power in the world. Here's a trivia question. Who knows roughly what year, what decade, the U.S. became the world's largest economic power? Guess? 1945, good guess. Not correct. Sorry? 1880, that is the first time someone's gotten it right. It's the 1880s, much earlier than we thought. <laughs> so you're older than you look, sir. So what I, I want to suggest to you is, look, Roman Empire, almost 500 years with on top. Great Britain, close to 400. Folks, we've had a good run here, roughly 1880s to about 2025. Another 20 years or so before China is expected to pass us. And the number of companies going public in China now is they transition what is literally millions of state-owned industries and uh, businesses to public companies, all of which are going to be going public on the Shanghai Exchange. And you understand American and GAAP accounting practices and speak Chinese. The world is your oyster. Here's another question. You know uh, the largest English-speaking country in the world? Most people? India, China has eclipsed India. If you go to India, it's the national language, but uh, Hindi still, and if you go to anywhere outside of Mumbai or Delhi, finding English speakers is tough. China is on a massive, you know, Apollo project to teach uh, English to the people. I was just, of all things, if you can imagine this, I love playing ping pong. I've played tournaments, and I'm at the national ping pong facility. I've got all these little eight-year-olds come up to me saying, hi, my name is Bill. Crash program, tens of millions of people learning English as we speak to get ready for the new generation. How many Americans are doing the same? Few. Steve, Noel Perry, nice to see you. Great job, great presentation. Well, they, let me just, Noel Perry is actually an important figure in this whole Jeez. effort and has done a Next 10 study on uh, clean tech, which is extraordinary. We were talking about you this morning. I need five more copies. Okay, I'll get them for you. And in the interim, I got two questions. The first Good. question, if you became governor in uh, this year, what would be the first two policy, um, policy changes that you would make that would enhance uh, clean technology and the fight against climate global warming in California? That's the first one. The second one, can, as you know. Can, can I just answer that one and then we'll come back? Yeah. People ask these multiple things and I, it's hard to remember them all. So it's what I said here. I would have instant mandates for clean buildings. You cannot imagine how much you can do if you mandated gold and lead standard uh, or you got some sort of tax credit for doing it. Two, I would unilaterally 
raise our cafe requirements and provide a stiffer penalty for anybody who buys a car that gets less than 10 or 12 miles a gallon. Uh, you know, a lot of people, frankly, are driving trucks everywhere. They call them SUVs and so on, but they're essentially trucks. We've got to cut that out. And the third thing, and I just want to spend a little longer on this, this AB32 thing is a big deal. So it's now rolled on out onto the gubernatorial election stage. Forgive me for being a little political here, but for a host of reasons, I may know the three candidates running for governor better than anybody else in the state. <laughs> I've known and worked with Jerry Brown for 30 years. I helped interview Meg and hire her at eBay and worked next to her for almost four years, and I've known Poisoner. And you should just know, Jerry Brown has come out and said, I am behind AB 32, 110%, it's the future. Both Republicans, both of whom I know, both of whom I thought were a slam dunk to support AB 32, have come out and said they oppose it. With the, and these are moderate, pro-environment, self-described pro-environment people, and they say they're opposing AB 32. Well, what's the rationale? Well, they say, well, it'll hurt job growth, and they're trying to scare people. Well, folks, the sheets have just been pulled off that one because it was revealed last week when the people who pulled together the signatures for the initiative to rescind AB 32 couldn't get enough public support. They couldn't get the signatures done to put it on the ballot. It would have quietly gone away. But guess who came in and wrote them a $2 million check? Our friends in the oil industry, Tesoro, and etc. So this is yet another oil industry initiative. I hope all of you will not only come out and work to defeat this thing, but if anybody who approaches you on the gubernatorial campaign, please ask them where they are on AB 32. If our Republican governor can be the state's biggest champion for it, uh, everybody should be. Cool. Yeah, and quickly, the second question, in light of what you talked about in terms of AB 32, you know that as part of AB 32, cap and trade is supposed to be instituted either next year or the year after, and the, the CARB is supposed to present how they would do it. What, what do you see as the chances of uh, putting a price on carbon through a cap and trade program in California in light of the pushback on AB 32? Yeah. I think it's going to happen. Uh, a lot of it's contingent on a, a Democrat winning the governorship. The legislature is going to continue to push it full out. And some of it's going to depend on what happens at the national level. You should just know, I think cap and trade may turn out to be tough to get through at the federal level. But in California, just like we did in the uh, catalytic converters where Washington has failed, California should lead. But this next gubernatorial election, don't think of it as a state election. We're a nation state. And by the way, we're not just another nation. We are the place everybody on the planet looks to for leadership on these issues. I'll make my question quick. Um, there's obviously a lot of money flowing into this area, into the green tech area, either from government stimulus or from uh, capital investment. My question is about the small business owner and the entrepreneur who may not have the market cap so large as to get capital uh, investment, how do they access that money with credit being so tight and um, inability of small companies to actually get business loans? So, 
how do people get venture capital, or if they don't want to go the venture route but want to get commercial capital for follow-on? Small businesses may not have the market cap to attract venture capitalists. So for the small business owner, for those uh, companies that are transitioning into the clean, clean tech market, for instance, construction companies that yep. may want to uh, transition, yep. where can they get their investments? So what let me break suggest? this into two. First, one of the great things going in California is we have one of the best, best risk capital infrastructures anywhere. There are now over a hundred, ticks me off, over a hundred clean tech venture firms competing with us. So it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. If you or any of you are working on a business plan, bring your plans to me. There has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. Thank God you happen to be in Silicon Valley. This one region leads everywhere else in the country. And when you kind of add in L.A. and San Diego, we have more venture uh, funds committed here than the rest of the country combined. I mean, so it is a great time. Now, the other half of the equation is what if you want to get debt financing? That is tough. That is a big issue. I wish the federal government would put more pressure on the banks to get money out to small businesses uh, right now. It's not just a clean tech thing. It is across the board. Thankfully, I think we have one of the best secretaries of energy in history. Uh, we actually co-hosted an event for Secretary Chu in Palo Alto on Monday. He completely gets it, and he is working to put substantial additional debt capital into the market to do follow-on loans or to help the people that either don't want to do venture capital or it's not appropriate for their business. But there are lots of things happening now. It's amazing how many things are changing and how quickly. All the stuff your father told you, it's changed or wrong or both. Hello, Steve. Nice to be here. My name is Katie Johnson, and I just wanted to ask you, if you are entering the job market, you know, out of college, or you're just sort of a young person in this, you know, wonderful time of opportunity in the clean tech space, what, what would be your advice, given all these conditions of the U.S. potentially losing our position of leadership in the world, and uh, just the kind of range of opportunities out there, and the necessity to um, to commercialize um, all of these, you know, startups and, and, and the rapid growth. So, how would you? What would be your advice for, uh, you know, if you had just kind of yep. gone into the job market? So, Katie, you're saying if I were young, uh, what exactly are you suggesting? <laughs> um, no, I, I understand. I understand. So, look, I, I mean, here's what I'd say. I mean, when I came out of school ages ago, it was kind of about tech, but we were at you know, just the beginning and all we could really talk about were like PCs and boxes and semiconductors. Now, to be blunt, it's about clean technology. It's about life sciences, uh, stem cell research, and it's about the growth of Asia. And I would be in one of those three areas, if not the intersection of all three, there has never been a better time. The second thing I would say, and I remember this clearly, you know, because growing up in Silicon Valley and I could see the beginning of the tech revolution, and for a host of reasons, I wasn't going to be the technical person. Uh, I was a history major. And if that is the case, bummer, uh, make sure you're good at selling to get back to this woman's point, or you take a lot of finance. And so, Knowing how I'd scored in chemistry, I made a beeline to improve my sales skills and went and got an MBA at Stanford. But I would think long and hard about those three areas. And this Asia piece 
is huge. And I just want to hit this home again. Most people never see a change and shift from one nation to another. We're about to see that. Don't, don't miss that. Make sure your skills are relevant. But the thing I would say to all of you, whether you're young or old, but especially if you're young, be politically active. Democracy, it's... In a democracy, you're one of two things. You're a participant or you're a victim. It's much better to be a participant. We've been victims for too long. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, I want to introduce myself. My name is Theo Postum. I run a nonprofit called the Pro-Human Foundation. Back in the 80s, I trademarked the Green Collar Worker Program, and Van Jones has taken that a little further with the Green, uh, econo green Collar Economy. And I just got reacquainted with uh, Betsy Rosenberg that has a program called the Green Front. So during the Bush administration, I knew there was no hope that we could get green collar workers off the ground because it's all oil. When I saw Obama before he actually started you know, getting up on speed, I realized that this man has the integrity to do it. So my question to you is how could you help me create 7 million green collar jobs? and bring that in front of Mr. Obama, the president of this country, where we could clean our infrastructure, bring in these renewable energies, like you just said, designed in a California, made in California. So, uh, look, seven million green collar jobs, uh, let me start and try to get 10,000, but I'll tell you, I think Tesla is gonna create 2,500. I mean, we're investing in firms that'll uh, do just that, but I think there's some smart programs out there a number of people in Silicon Valley like John Doerr have been active in pushing this cash for Calkers deal to create the green collar jobs uh, of the next uh, century. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. What Secretary of Chu has done to literally push out as much money as they had as quickly as they can. But by the way, on that point, you know, DOE has made loans to firms like Solyndra and Tesla. I think they're going to do very well. And you should know with these loans, they're actually getting warrants for the first time. I mean, the government stands a chance to make a bunch of money. If Tesla goes public, the government is going to have an extraordinary IRR. So they're doing things that are not only in your interest to create jobs, in the nation's interest to keep us number one, but in the taxpayer's interest to actually get a return on that investment. Much better, I would suggest, than what we're doing in Iraq and Afghanistan. But that's just my personal... Hi, my name is Scott Landsman. Uh, one of your hey, slides uh, showed uh, China planting 150,000 square miles of trees, presumably as a carbon sink. And some of the buzz in clean tech has moved from uh, climate change prevention to climate change mitigation. Yep. I want to ask you, in, in sort of the modern history of technology and commerce, can you think of an example when we had introduced a, a dangerous contaminant into our environment and then solved the problem by introducing a mitigating technology? Or have we always had to cease the damaging efforts that we were doing in the first place. I mean, there was the, the catalytic converter that you talked about, but we still had to take the lead out of the gas first. Yep. It's a great question. I, I do not know. I, I would just suggest, I think what the Chinese have done is smart in terms of realizing, my God, we have a huge problem. Remember the 82 million death figure. We've got to change it, but our whole economy is coal dependent. Let's see how quickly we can change that. But for God's sakes, if it doesn't, we need plan B, which is to start planting trees as quickly as humanly possible. And I can just only imagine what the meetings were like as they sat around the table saying, what should our goal be? And frankly, 
150,000 miles is a pretty bold goal. So it'll be quite interesting to see how they do. Mr. Wesley, thank you for being here with oh, your presentation you. and your courage to stand up in these times for the things that are going to take us forward. Um, first of all, I would like to remind you that when you're talking about MBAs from the Bay Area, to please include MBAs from Presidio Graduate School. Um, these are people who are more than qualified to look at how to address sustainability in our future. I'm sorry, from? Presidio Graduate okay, School. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, they specifically do an MBA in sustainability. Great. So, um, secondly, um, I am the mother of four boys and <laughs> had the <laughs> wonderful experience of all five of us going to college at the same time simply because I thought it was important to role model for my boys about what real studying looked like. So as they were working on their undergraduate degrees, I was working on my graduate degrees. I'm really concerned about how we are instilling the need for clean tech, sustainable, green thinking into younger people and how the education system in California is lagging behind um, seriously on that level. And I don't think that everybody in California needs to be a college graduate. Um, I think they need the opportunity to learn a skill to move us forward, simply as the other gentleman spoke to a, a new infrastructure. So I know right now the average age of a certified welder in California is 52 years old. Where is our new infrastructure coming from yep. if we're not bringing them up through the education system? So if you could please speak to that. Yep. So this is a great question. It's something I feel passionately about, and I'll tell you why in a minute. First off, um, you know, I've got two little kids, and I, I coach the third grade boys basketball team. I've got 10 eight-year-olds. Uh, having four boys, ma'am, God bless you. That's not easy. <laughs> On this issue of California's competitiveness, I ran for governor. I talked a lot about this, and I would just humbly suggest that, well, Students at Berkeley are protesting, and students at Stanford think tuition's too high, and these are big problems, and they are. But the number one issue is not that. It is that roughly one-third of our students are dropping out of high school. That is the number one issue. So when I campaigned, the number one thing I said I would do would be to drop the cost to community college to free for any student who would agree to commit a degree that would lead to a job in the future. We need to really do what smart states, notably Virginia and others, we are not pathbreakers here, have done, which is to create a path so that those kids who are thinking of dropping out their freshman and sophomore year in high school realize that if they complete their four years and will do just one year beyond that because we need to connect our community colleges with our high schools, they can get an intermediate degree or a beginning degree in nursing, law enforcement, biotech, uh, HTML programming, or a host of other jobs in the new generation that, by the way, my companies are clamoring to hire for. So again, the people working at getting degrees, the MSEEs, the Stanford, the Calgrads, I wish I could bring tuition down, I can't, but the people I'm most worried about are those people on the edge making that decision of whether to drop out and, frankly, 
be destined to a minimum wage job, who can hang in there, who can see that path to getting a one-year degree in any of these host of positions. Nursing's the top of the list. We have a 100,000 nurse shortfall in this state. Think how much better off we'd be if we could keep those people in school and get them that interim degree. Thank you for asking the question. Thank you for giving me so much time. I think you're going to have a fascinating afternoon.